Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Welcome to the Scott Radley Show for this Monday evening, brand new week. First day of July. It just seems like that. Uh, It is lovely outside. Lovely outside. Absolutely gorgeous. Let's keep this going. Forget the snow stuff. I'm good with a this kind of weather for Christmas. I really am. Uh, welcome to the show. Glad you're along. As I say, lots and lots of stuff to get to today, including this. And, and, and forgive me for being a little bit snarky right off the top, but I saw today that the that two scientists uh, who helped develop the COVID vaccine were presented with the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine. And yet, while they received their awards, they were both wearing masks. If their vaccine was so darn good, why still have to wear masks? That's my question. Should you not have to come up with something that would at least prevent that kind of thing before they give you the award? I, I, I know, I know, don't, but it just, I looked at it and I went, wait a second, your discovery was so great that you still have to use other things to make it work. That doesn't seem quite so impressive in, in when you, when you think of it that way. It's like, well, uh, the example that I was just going to use is inappropriate, so I won't use it, but it's, um, no, you know what, it, it, yeah, I'll leave that there. I just, I just think that, that, that the minimum to win a Nobel Prize should be that your thing works all by itself and does the job it's supposed to do. Just saying. I'm not saying the va- I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Don't worry about it. I just, it seemed odd. Uh, let me tell you what's coming up on the show today. We are going to be chatting about Canada's finances, which um, if you haven't heard this already, they're not ideal right now. Things are not all hunky-dory. We'll be talking about that. We're also going to talk later this week. You'll be hearing about the vote for the new Speaker of the House. You know what happened last week or the week before with the whole Nazi thing. That was, you know, how often, I was just thinking about this as I said this, how often can we say that whole Nazi thing and everyone in the country knows exactly what we're talking about? Sure, that shouldn't be a line that should have immediate resonance with people. There should be no point in our country's history when we say, yeah, it has to do with the House of Commons and that whole Nazi thing. That just, that is not a sentence that should be immediately recognized by everybody in the country. And yet here we are. But how do we choose this and what does it mean? And is this, uh, is there going to be a plume of white smoke above the House of Commons or, you know, the whole thing? How, what, what is all this all about? We'll get to that. And of course, next hour, as he is every Monday, Don Robertson will be here to talk about all kinds of things in the world of sports, including this. Did you happen to see the Blue Jays celebration when they clinched the third wild card? You would have thought that the Blue Jays had won the World Series for the seventh consecutive time. The champagne was flying. The dancing was ever. You clinched the third wild card. You should go back to your dressing room, your clubhouse, turn on some scouting film and get ready. Why, why is there champagne for a third wildcard clinching position? That, that to me, maybe I am really snarky today, but that to me seems totally over the top. Well, we'll talk about whether or not 
it is over the top or not. As always, the first segment of the Scott Radley Show is brought to you exclusively by fox40shop.com for sport and for safety. It has to be fox40shop.com. Enter the promo code Radley at checkout. You will get 25% off your order. Let's start today, though, with uh, our country's finances. This is something that is a bit of a situation right now, which I think may be a benign way of describing what's going on. David Dodge is the uh, former Bank of Canada governor. He was testifying last week before the House of Commons Finance Committee, and essentially he was waving the red flag, or at least a warning flag, that things are pretty difficult right now, that we need to be doing a lot of spending on a lot of things, but we don't have a lot of money to do these things because of some things that we didn't necessarily anticipate. Let's bring in Moisha Launder, Senior Economics Lecturer with Concordia University. Uh, thanks for doing this today. That was a mouthful, huh? It was a mouthful, wasn't it? He is, um, David, I mean, David Dodge, the thing that he pointed to here, and maybe I think you would have surely anticipated this. I think most people who follow economics might have surely pointed to this. When you put out billions and billions and billions of dollars, we know that creates inflation, but that's the riding, all of that is riding on the fact that interest rates are going to stay where they are. And when they spike, uh, you're asking for trouble, are you not? Yeah. So when the government runs a deficit, they have to borrow money. No different than when you and I run a deficit. Canadians don't sometimes realize that we do run deficits, right? Whenever you buy a house or when you buy a car, you need to borrow money. It's effectively saying that in that particular year, you spent more than what your income was. And so you borrow, hopefully a bank or a credit card is able to provide that. Um, When the government borrows money, they do it by issuing bonds to the public. And that means that they have to pay those bonds. And when those bonds come up for renewal, it's almost similar to when our mortgages come up for renewal, that if you now have to reset at a higher rate, uh, that means that more of your income is going to go towards paying the interest rather than the actual principal. And that means that the money has to come from somewhere. It's no different for us. It's no different for the government. And so what's happening now is that all of the borrowing that they've been doing over decades Uh, unfortunately, some of it is coming due and it's coming due at higher interest rates. And that means then that the government's going to have to find some cost savings somewhere. Well, uh, apparently according to the interest rates, the interest rates have rose on our debt 20.4% or $4 billion a month. I mean, that is a, that's a staggering amount of money when you consider how much money we are essentially taking and now just flushing down the toilet that could go to other important things, but we no longer have in our hand. Yeah, it's it's substantial, right? But let's not forget, too, that the Canadian economy is $2.5 trillion. So $4 billion is a lot to you and me. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, it's it's a drop in the bucket for the economy. But it, it's $4 billion that could have gone elsewhere. Uh, the the bigger issue is, is not really the money that's being flushed down the toilet, like you said. It's that when that money was borrowed, what did they borrow it for? So... If you and I decide that we're going to borrow money against our line of credit and we're going to go have a blowout weekend Hmm. in Vegas, we're going to have a fantastic time. But the hangover, unintended, is going to be that we really don't have anything to show for the Vegas getaway. But if we were to borrow money against our line of credit, say, and build an extension onto our home or invest in our children's education, then we at least have something long lasting that, yeah, we're going to be paying for it for years to come. But that's something that we have made it worth it. 
Unfortunately, the government did not spend that money on improving the country's infrastructure, the healthcare system, the education system, housing. Um, they spent it on merely just handing people money to stay at home during COVID, which itself wasn't necessarily the worst thing to do. But the problem is that they really don't have anything to show for it. And now they have to pay the bill. Let's take a very quick break. Uh, we're going to come back, though, with this. It's a, it's a very serious situation right now, and, and uh, David Dodge is, is pointed, as I say, is waving a red flag on this one about how serious this is. We'll talk about it more with Moshe Landa right after this. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking with Moshe Lander, a senior economics lecturer with Concordia University, about a warning from David Dodge, former Bank of Canada governor, about the spending of our federal government and that essentially uh, things are going to get interesting here. Things are going to have to tighten up. And, and Moshe, I want to ask you about, the, we all know, and I don't, I don't want to be snarky. I mean, I was started out the show that way, but in this case, I don't want to be snarky and cynical. I, I want an honest answer on this one. We know that the prime minister at one point said, don't worry about interest rates. They're going to be low for a long time. We know that uh, Tiff Macklin, the uh, Bank of Canada governor, said back in 2020, don't worry, interest rates are going to be low for a long, long time. And that allowed for some of this lending and putting money into the economy and spending. Was that hubris, as some people have said it was, or was that a rational, reasonable reasonable position that got usurped by COVID, which nobody could possibly have seen coming? Yeah, it, it was COVID uh, that I think changed changed the timetable here. I, I mean, if you talk to people in the field, they'll they'll tell you that they've been warning for decades that something like COVID could be coming, and we saw a few you know close calls back with SARS and avian flu and things like that. But e- even when it did come along, I, I don't think anybody realized the extent to which we were going to be forced into lockdown and, and the measures that were going to be taken before those. Nobel Prize winning mask wearing people, mm. uh, you know, were able to come up with a, a way to get back to life as usual. So, no, I, I don't think it was hubris on their part. But, uh, you know, again, it, it was one of those uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you didn't have a responsibility to build a buffer for uncertain outcomes. Because there have been people who have said, you don't go into huge debt when things are good, which things were really good. Uh, there are others, including Christian Freeland, who said, this is the opportunity we need now to invest because it would be foolish of us not to invest right now. And again, I, I you know, in retrospect, I think we might want to say maybe we shouldn't have quote, quote, invested quite so heavily because of the way interest rates have gone. But I don't know if that's a fair criticism. Um, it, it is to some extent, but I, I, I would still give the, the credit here to the, the government uh, for recognizing that it, Canada's debt to GDP ratio had come down substantially. So debt to GDP just means how much debt do we have in relation to our income? We, we can do a similar calculation for us as individuals. If that number was coming down, it's not reasonable to say that the government would have no debt whatsoever. So they they were behaving responsibly in in bringing that number down to something sensible. And the finance minister was correct that given that it was at a very low number, relatively speaking, um, taking advantage of the low interest rates and taking out 30-year loans, essentially, to build up Canada's infrastructure wasn't the worst decision to take, especially when nobody saw COVID. The issue was, did they spend the money 
on the best right. uh, ways possible. And there's where I would lay some criticism and say, I don't, I don't think they did. David Dodge, one of the, the things that, you know, that he has been warning about is that things are going to have to be different. And it's not just in spending, I suppose, although that clearly he's pointing to different areas where we may have to spend in other areas we may have to tighten up, but I have not heard anybody, we've, we've heard of people saying we got to tighten up or we have to reshuffle our spending. I've lately not heard anyone say we need to start spending to pay down some of our debt. Is that just an old antiquated concept now, or is that something we need to start doing? Well, so here's a difference then between the analogies where I'm talking about you and me and the government. The government lives forever. It'll be a different government, but they live forever. So technically, they don't have to ever pay off their debt. The only thing that they have to do is make sure that their income, GDP, is growing faster than the debt. So if your debt is half a million dollars and you make half a million dollars a year, okay, uh, if your debt grows to 750000 but your income grows to a million, your debt's bigger, but you're actually in better shape because you're more able to handle that. So the issue right now is if the government wants to not pay down the debt, that's fine. They need to make sure that they're finding a way to try and encourage economic growth. And where the talk these days is about a recession, uh, not only are we not getting economic growth, we're actually getting economic shrinkage. That could really make the debt uh, a problem. Um Seeing the debt go up during recessions is pretty standard. It's what their plans are when we come out and how they plan on getting that uh, back under control. Uh, good economic growth could be a solution that doesn't require paying down the debt. One of the things that we've heard recently, there's been a lot of talk about immigration and whether people think we are bringing in the right number, too many, not enough, whatever. But one of the things that we often hear when the t discussion moves to immigration is we need more people because we don't have enough in this country. More people will come here, will do work, it'll boost the economy. But David Dodge, one of the things, let me read you a quote from his in this about this. He goes, in aggregate, we are doing really poorly unless we can get the output per worker up then we have a problem. So it's not just, as I read this, that we need to have more people to do work, although that may in fact be helpful. We need workers to be more productive, which is a whole different thing. And, and that is the conundrum that has bothered economists for decades is how do you boost productivity? So output per workers, standard measure of that. If economists had a clear answer for that, believe me, we'd be doing it. Hmm. Uh, but the problem is that it, it's difficult. It, it's difficult to go to you and say, be more productive. There are only so many hours in a day that you're on the air. There's only so many topics you can cover. Uh, so you're constrained to a certain extent. Uh, there's only so much that a symphony orchestra can do to boost its productivity. So there's some sectors that are going to have a difficult time boosting that. Uh, but yeah, you, you can bring in immigrants, but they need to be contributing to boosting productivity, not being a drag on it. Good news is that generally speaking, a lot of the data suggests that most immigration does boost productivity. So uh, it, it's not a bad thing, but it, it is also being careful about just throwing open the doors and, and not paying attention to that that aspect as well. Uh, we got to go. But when you look at this also, so Dodge's ultimate point that he is making here is that we are spending a lot on a lot of things. Um, but we're probably going to have other things we have to spend on, which might mean we have to make some decisions. Are governments good at making these kinds of decisions? Because it seems to me, once you decide we're spending here, 
that almost always seems to be that, well, we have to continue or people die. And then we just, there's only, we can add more. It seems like they have a really hard time either refocusing or cutting back. Yeah. And, and it causes panic. Uh, among the population when the government says, okay, we're going to go in a totally different direction now. But you're right. Economics is all about trade-offs, all about making choices. And governments are generally very bad at making those key choices. It's a once in a generation sort of prime minister that comes along and says, you don't have to necessarily like me now, but you'll remember me later. Um, we are totally focusing on the wrong things. We have an aging society that's going to need a lot of public support in terms of pensions and healthcare. Uh, and it's, it's not there right now. We're, we're focusing on the wrong things and it will continue to pose a problem as society ages. It's uh, very uplifting on a Monday evening, but, uh, so this is the reality that, uh, some hard decisions are going to have to be made. Moishe Lander, senior economics lecturer with Concordia. Always love having you on. Thanks for taking time today. At least enjoy the nice weather. <laughs> That's exactly right. There you go. We don't have to pay for that. Not yet. Uh, let's take a break. Lots still to come here on the Scott Radley Show. When we come back after the break, we're going to be talking about the race for the speakership. Who is going to become Speaker of the House? And ultimately, does it really matter as long as they don't invite any more Nazis? We'll talk about that. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Tomorrow, when the House of Commons resumes, there will be a rare mid-session election for the job of Speaker of the House. You know why that happened, I presume. You've been following the news enough to have heard the story of Anthony Rota and what happened the other day with the special invited guest. Didn't go quite so well. So, when they elect a new Speaker of the House... Um, how big a deal is this? As I said before, it seems to me, it seems to some people anyway, as long as the speaker doesn't invite any Nazis to the house of commons, that seems to be all we really want from the speaker, but it's gotta be more important than that. Let's bring in Laurie Turnbull, Dr. Laurie Turnbull, professor at the faculty of management with Dalhousie university. Thank you for the time today. Anytime. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, okay, so most people, I I, I know when they watch clips of the House of Commons, and many people try to avoid that like the plague, nonetheless, uh, they may see the Speaker stand up to declare or to try and restore order or calm things down, but how big a deal is this? Whoever wins the Speakership, does it change much really, or is it more just to have a special, because they get their own house and they get special privileges, is there more to it? Oh, yeah. Like if you're a member of parliament and you become the speaker after having been an ordinary member of parliament, this is going to change your life. Like, as you said, they've got um, they've got a, a, an apartment on Parliament Hill. They get a pretty significant salary bump. So they're paid the same as a cabinet minister. They have um, a farm, which is, I think, pretty sweet. I've never been there. And they have a whole bunch more responsibilities that they didn't have before. So some of it is diplomatic, like um, receiving guests and sometimes traveling on behalf of Canada. Um, They are ultimately responsible for maintaining decorum and procedure in the House of Commons. They're responsible for all kinds of administrative things in the House of Commons, like keeping the standing orders and financial things and like essentially um, 
in many ways, we're the back office of the House of Commons, but we, are, it, we also see the speaker a lot, right? Like we, you can see that person in the chair making the decisions, trying to calm every down, everyone down during question period, but they're, they don't act in a partisan way, which is really a significant difference because most MPs go in there like just living and breathing the party that they're, they're there to, to be yeah. with. I saw a picture of the farm, by the way, and it looks quite lovely. We don't have time to get into it today. I wonder if back in the old days, they were supposed to like grow corn for the rest of the MPs. I don't know what it was, but yeah, (laughs) the farm looks pretty lovely. Go back to though the job that they're doing today, because it seems that the best uh, that I could come up with, the best comparison would be a referee, not just in the fact that they have to control things, but also if you're a referee in a football game or a hockey game, you literally have to know every rule in the rule book off the cuff of your arm. And I'm guessing there are a lot of MPs that don't know every rule there. So it whittles down who could hold that position. Oh, absolutely. I mean, whoever is going to do it, like if, if you haven't done it before, you're going to have to go and, and, you know, study pretty hard to, to keep all this in mind. And speaker has assistance and, and, um, you know, it's not like you have to do everything yourself, but it's it's a completely different world. And you, yeah, you have to become a procedure expert, like all of these things that you would have had some knowledge of as an MP, because you've got to be in that world and you've got to, you know, you've got, you've got to understand how it works, but the speaker is just on a whole other level. And so the types of like the ways that you spend your day are going to be totally different than, you know, if you're, if you're a backbench MP. If you are a member of the government, if you're, so if you're a liberal right now who's sitting in the House of Commons, why would you want this job? Because for the very reason you just explained, you cannot be partisan in this position. So why would you want to go to the House of Commons representing your region and then really not be able to represent your region? What's the upside? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, the types of things that we see MPs do in their constituency, a speaker would still do, right? Like, so you're still going to help people with their passport. You're still going to help people with, you know, paperwork kind of stuff. You're still going to explain to people what's going on in the House of Commons. You're going to have that kind of role in the constituency. But yeah, when you go to Parliament Hill, your role is totally different and you can't vote with your party. You don't vote unless you, it's to break a tie. Um, you, and even with like the speaker, like you don't go to caucus meetings with your party anymore. You're supposed to maintain just complete objectivity about the rules as much as humanly possible. I can imagine it would be lonely to mm. be honest, because most people get into politics because they're very gregarious. They want to be with people. They want to, you know, go out and shake hands and get to know people and make things happen. And the speaker is like a completely different world. And probably compete too. I mean, the p- people in politics are competitive. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. 100%. No, no. Like you, you you want to be doing that. You want to be in the fray. And then the speaker's role is to try to take the temperature down a lot of the time. Can you Okay, so let let's use an example here. Let's say that in your riding there is a somebody wants to put a new water processing plant or I don't know, pick whatever you want, and it's a multi multi million dollar thing and the constituents want this. If you're the speaker, can you lobby the government for that or do you have to stay out of that fray? I mean, like we can, I think as the speaker, like you still have a constituency office, you still have people who are working to support um, the riding, and then, you, you know, you'd be able to continue to take some of that pressure from your local constituents, and then they, 
it would find a way to funnel up, funnel up into the system. But, you know, you're not going to see, for example, like some of the ways in which MPs ah, represent their constituents is they'll stand up in the House of Commons during question period or right before question period during SO31s and say, my writing needs this, or my writing is, should be recognized for the contributions we've made to this particular cause, or this person in my writing is awesome. And here's why. And the speaker can't do any of that stuff. But when you think about it, I think a lot of MPs, actually struggle because of party discipline, because the center is so powerful. All MPs want to be able to go up there and do everything they can for their constituency. And I think all of them have constraints on them. And so, I mean, the speaker is in a completely different ballpark, but at the same time, I think it's it's a good question because it, it invites us to think about how all MPs are not as um, autonomous as they would want to be. Does the speaker ever lead to bigger things? In other words, if you are a very ambitious politician, do you look at being the speaker as your stepping stone to maybe becoming leader of your party someday? Uh, probably not, honestly, because the speaker puts you in this totally different um, mindset and this totally different world where you're not really partisan anymore. And so if you were a speaker, um, it's possible that when you when you leave that post, you can you know, you might, you might think about like a, maybe a diplomatic appointment or something like that. Um, I know when, when Peter Milliken finished as speaker, he was speaker for a long time. He ended up doing some work with Queens University. It was an opportunity for him to kind of talk about what he knew and put him in a kind of scholarly context where he was recognized for his expertise and he was able to talk to people about it, which I think was awesome actually, and really helpful, but it takes you in a different direction as a politician. Like you, you don't, um, it's not common to see a speaker go on to be a cabinet minister, for example. And as a leader of the party, it would just be such a different, different trajectory because again, like you, as a speaker, you're not partisan really anymore. There are a couple, um, interesting people. Now there's, there's eight people apparently at least who are running for this tomorrow that we know of. Maybe there's been more in since I read the last thing about it, but two in particular are very interesting positions. One is a, is a conservative MP, Chris Dontremont. He's the current deputy speaker, and his argument is, I should be in there because it's rare that someone from the opposition party has held the speaker's chair, and this will settle things down in Parliament. True, do you think? Um, It is rare for an opposition MP to get it. I don't know that an opposition MP would be any more successful at settling things down than anybody else, to be perfectly honest. Um, it's a pretty fraught environment in there. It's a minority parliament. I think we saw, uh, I mean, it was it was not politics as usual last week because of the whole circumstance that led to the fact that we need a new speaker. Um, it, you know, things were pretty tense. Things were pretty negative. And so anybody, I think, is going to have their hands full, no matter who it is, no matter what party they come from. I think Chris Daltrabant, um, you know, has shown he's deputy speaker. He's been in the chair. He's he, He's got a lot of legislative experience as well. He was a Nova Scotia MLA before he came to the House of Commons. And so I, I would imagine he's probably got a good handle on the procedure, actually, on the procedural side of it. But uh, I honestly think whoever is going to be the next speaker is going to be um, really uh, tired at the end yeah. of every day. Yeah. The other one that I've just found strange, and I, and maybe I'm missing something here, but um, Elizabeth May, the uh, Green Party co-leader, says she's going to seek the job, but she's been working from home or from her writing because she's had some health problems. She hasn't even been around the House of Commons, but you would certainly have to be at the House of Commons to be the Speaker of the House. So I'm not entirely sure I'm understanding this this run. I agree. Yeah, I agree with you. And I was looking, I, I think even to be able to put herself forward, she has to be there physically tomorrow. 
I think, to give a speech in the House of Commons, like, because I know we're trying to do everything hybrid now, but I don't, my understanding was that the rules did not yet allow for this type of thing to happen in a hybrid, hybrid format. And so I think we'll see the, the limitations of hybrid, in, in, well, to put it another way, I don't think we're in, to the point where every single thing is going to happen in a hybrid format. And I think the speaker is something that I, I cannot imagine the person not being physically there. Can And can you imagine, honestly, even given the level of noise in the place and the challenges with trying to make everything work, trying to do that from like your computer when yeah. people yeah. I mean, are there no, yelling at each other. Unless we were back in COVID and everybody was online and you could <laughs> mute everybody, that would be one way, but you're right. I mean, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. All right, very quickly, because we're short on time. This process tomorrow, they're going to vote on this tomorrow. Presumably this is a pretty simple process that, that they all vote and within a few minutes we have a winner or is it like a ballot process like in political conventions where someone gets dropped off and then it's the next, how does it work? It used to be rounds like that, and it could take forever. And now it's a preferential ballot. So everybody will rank order their preferences, and then it all goes into some, you know, magic box. And then whoever <laughs> gets the most number one votes after, um, if it's essentially a majority, the person who wins has to have a majority. And so if nobody gets a majority of number one votes, the least popular person gets knocked off, votes are redistributed according to second preferences. You keep repeating that until somebody comes first and wins. And thousands and thousands of people gather on the front lawn of Parliament Hill waiting for the puff of white smoke to come out of the chimney. Is that uh, kind of what <laughs> we're waiting late, for? But no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, you know what? Next time. Next time. They got to they gotta got plan it. these things ahead. Come on, maybe not white smoke, but uh, red smoke. See, Canadian, be red. That Wouldn't that be cool? Conclave. There you go. Uh, Dr. Lori Turnbull, professor with the Faculty of Management at Dalhousie University. Uh, great chat. Thanks for doing this today. Anytime. Take it easy. We got a quick break. And when we come back, Matt is in today, which means... Matt's story of the day is up next. We'll do that. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Time for Matt's story of the day. Here's how this works. If you're new, not with us every night, Matt is the guy who is on the other side of the glass here in the studio. He is doing all the real work with buttons and levers and foot pedals and... I don't know what else is in there, but he, he keeps us on the air with whatever it is he's doing. I am going to give him a break from all that because I am going to bring him into the conversation, give him three unusual stories from around the world, after which he will then contemplate and think about it, and which is kind of the same thing, and decide which one he likes best. That becomes Matt's story of the day. Are we ready? I'm ready. Okay. Let us start in... This was a couple days ago, uh, the last game of the regular season in baseball. The baseball season is now done. Playoffs are about to start. Uh, in Philadelphia, a guy showed up to go to the last game of the year with his emotional support animal, but was denied entry into the stadium because his uh, emotional support animal was his emotional support alligator, Wally. And folks at the gate said, no, you're not bringing an alligator into our stadium. This only has the potential to go horribly, horribly wrong. I'm going to take this at face value, but where else has he tried to do this, do you think? It's, uh, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, he, so he's got 100,000 followers on his TikTok account, Wally the Alligator, and, um, so this is a this is a real thing and not well, just a one time thing. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, but yeah, he he showed up with his five foot alligator on a leash, 
uh, claiming that it was his service animal. Now, the stadium, the Philadelphia Stadium, does have a policy saying certified service dogs or service dogs in training for guests with special needs are welcome. All their animals are prohibited. So they at least had a policy seemingly in place. But what happens if someone had shown up with their emotional support bunny rabbit? Would they have turned them away? Probably not, I'm guessing. But if you're sitting in the stands and all of a sudden uh, this guy named Joey shows up sitting next to you with his alligator on his lap, who's five feet long, I'm not feeling real comfortable in that game. I gotta say, I, I'm not feeling all that comfortable with this. Um, now he says he, he's upset by this and he is citing the example of the curse of the billy goat, which back in 1945 in Chicago, a guy named William Cianus was brought his goat, his pet goat to Wrigley Field and was turned away. They wouldn't let him in. And the legend goes that he put a curse on the Cubs and it took them 108 years to win a World Series after that because of the curse of the Billy Goat. So if the Phillies don't win another World Series for 108 years, it's the curse of the alligator. There's number one. Story number two comes from China, but it involves South Korea's League of Legends team. League of Legends, for those who don't know, is a is a, it's an online multiplayer online battle game that you play as a group and there are organized leagues and professional players. They make a ton of dough. Some of these people who, if you're a really good league of legends player, you can make a ton of dough. Anyway, South Korea's league of legends team beat Taiwan at the Asian games, even though they were missing their star player who was probably still in his mother's basement trying to get the Cheeto dust off his shirt, I'm guessing, nonetheless. Um, So they won the gold medal at the Asian Games in League of Legends. And because of this, they have now earned an exemption from military service. And all I could think when I read this was, wait a second, aren't these the people you want in the military? People who can do battle in amazing ways and win hand-to-hand combat with creativity and reflexes. These are the very people you want in your military, not out of your military, but apparently not. Apparently in South Korea, the law exempts athletes and classical and traditional musicians and ballet and other dancers from military service and other artists. If they have obtained top prizes in certain competitions and have achieved national prestige and recently online gaming has risen into that level. So there's number two. Story number three, a lot closer to home. A Canadian guy named Mike Jack. Now, some of you might've heard of this guy before, because I believe he's from London. If I'm not wrong, he is a, uh, he is a legendary hot food eater. And if you go to Dawson's hot sauces, by the way, they have a Mike Jack hot sauce that he designed. You can buy that on, uh, on Barton street. Anyway, um, this guy set a new world record on the weekend by eating 135 Carolina Reaper peppers in one sitting. I don't know if you know what, a, we, we, this was the quiz question the other day. What is a Carolina Reaper? They are the hottest peppers in the world. He ate 135 of them in six minutes and 49 seconds. No, sorry. He ate 50 of them in that time, then went on to eat 85 more. They average 1.64 million Scoville heat units, which is hundreds of times hotter than jalapenos. 
And I'm sorry, Matt, but the only thing I could think about this was what a miserable day he was going to have the next day, if not later that day. I mean, I, I feel like that would be almost immediate. No, obviously he's a professional, but I think that would be an immediate thing. He, he had better be near the lavatory when he's eating this. Like it may be coming out of him while they're still going into him. <laughs> that <laughs> this many. Is 135. He said, um... The initial shock of spiciness is intense. The second one doesn't seem as bad, but each one gets hotter and hotter. The mouth pain though is nothing compared to the stomach discomfort. <laughs> I get bad cramps. It feels like someone is squeezing and twisting my guts. Uh-huh. And then as I say, oh, can't even imagine what comes next. The flames of doom. The ring of fire. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, it's not good. Will your... <laughs> Story of the day. Will Matt's story of the day today be the man who tried to bring his emotional support alligator to the Philadelphia Phillies game? Will it be the South Korean League of Legends players who are excluded now from military service for their triumph? Or will it be the Canadian guy who ate 135 Carolina Reapers in one sitting? I got to go with the alligator because, I mean, you can't even bring certain bags into games and like bring in an entire (laughs) alligator is a whole... Different I, want, level. I wonder if they have a rule against alligator skin bags. We'll have to figure that one that out in. later. There you go. All right. There's Matt's story of the day. Let's take a break. We got hour number two of the show coming up after this. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Scott Radley has been taking in all the news of the day and is ready to deliver it with a unique perspective. This is the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Hour number two of the Scott Radley Show here on 900 CHML. Hope you're having a lovely Monday. You should be. It's just beautiful outside. Who knew that it could be like this in October? But welcome to the show. Glad you are with us. Lots to get to still today. Don Robertson has arrived and is just uh, in the back warming up his voice. It sounds a lot like Pavarotti when he warms up his voice. Uh, We'll get to him in just a moment. Your quiz question first today, and we'll see how many of you know this one. In which game might you peg out? In what game might you peg out? 905-645-3221, star 9900. Or you can text us at 905-645-3221. If you're going to do that, at least give us your first name so we know who gave us the answer. In what game might you peg out? 905-645-3221, star 9900, or text us at 905-645-3221. Matt is in today, so give Matt a call. Lines are lighting up, so give Matt a call and give him the answer. Uh, As I say, lines are lighting up though, so bear with us. If uh, he'll get to you as fast as he possibly can. If you don't get an answer right away, hang in there. If you do get an answer, well, give us your best. Love to hear it. Let us get to Don Robertson. His voice is now fully warmed up. It was like listening to an aria in the back room there, in the, in the green room. I work at it, I'll tell mm. you. <laughs> yeah, if you ever heard Freddie Mercury in Live Aid do that sing-along with the, with the crowd, that's exactly <laughs> what, uh, what Don sounded like. Yeah, how are you? I'm good. What a great day. Chamber oh. of Commerce Day. This is... Uh, October. This is, th- this is outstanding. I mean, I know that, that 
people say, I love fall. I don't want 27 degrees in October. Well, then too bad. Yeah, well. You're wrong. <laughs> you're not going to have that option for much longer, so soak it up. Yeah, take take it while you can get it because it is absolutely, here's a word I don't use all that often. It is glorious out there. <laughs> My mom would have used that word. It is glorious out there. By the way, if you are calling, uh, so many lines ringing right now, so just hang with us. Matt will get to you. Don't uh, if you If we lose you on the line, if you don't get through and it disconnects you, um, call back. We're trying. Oh, and Matt just told me we're having a little issue with the phone. So, uh, bear with us. He will get to you as best he can. In the meantime, text us your answer if, if you can. That'll be even easier. 905-645-3221. All right, Don, uh, Blue Jays, they play tomorrow. First game of the playoffs. Uh, they've, they've been in the playoffs the last three out of the last four years, as I recall. And, um... What I don't get, and I said this right off the top of the show today, what I don't get is the Blue Jays made it into the playoffs by virtue of another team losing and clinched the third wildcard spot and had a champagne celebration that looked like they were, they had just won their third consecutive championship. Is it not a little over the top to celebrate with a champagne shower when you squeak into the third wildcard? Maybe if you win your division, I get it. Well, I think if you you win nine straight at the end of the year and get in, okay, if it's the third base, sure, you can you can paint the picture that there would certainly be worthy occasions. But when you backed in the night before, yeah, to then go out and use guys like you and I for the last game of the year. And then go out, then go in and have a great celebration. It's a bit rich, really. Yeah, I saw. Um, I saw the. Uh, I, I saw this video on Twitter, and at first I had to look at it twice. The guy who is the Japanese translator for uh, Kikuchi yeah. was throwing in the bullpen in the last game. Now he wasn't going into the game; he was just in the bullpen, warming up, throwing, having some fun because it was the last game, and that's the game where they go out and they have a. Giant celebration. It, it it just was. If I'm the blue, if I'm the Blue Jays brass, honestly, and it's not because you're going cheap just to save money on champagne. I am seriously saying to them, look, we are happy to give you all the champagne you can spray if you win the division. But really, really, like it looks silly to me. It was really orchestrated, which those things all are. They they. Bulletproof the room with um, plastic, and I mean they could have obviously they could have did started that at the end of the first inning because they knew what was going to happen. Right. But it's hard to get real excited when you knew the night before. Like if they'd have all come in Sunday hungover because they had a big party because they won, I get that. I mean, it's not a great idea, but the game didn't mean anything. But they celebrated because they got in. You know, and I had a guy today said, well, they're all excited, but he said they only got in because um, Seattle lost. I said, they got in because Seattle lost too many. Like, it wasn't just that one game. I mean, over the course of 162, they earned the right. I mean, they limped in with two losses, but they're in the playoffs, so... I, oh, I got no, I got... Well, I do have a... I, I don't love baseball continuing to add more and more wildcard teams. I... I grudgingly was okay with one when they split it to three divisions to make it four 
didn't love it when they went to two wild cards. Really don't like the third wild card. I know it's all about money and it's all about more teams in the race and all the rest, but, but, you know, win something to celebrate. I, I don't mind having more teams in the playoffs and, and and I, and I get the money part because you know me, if you can't figure it out, it's the money. Well, but it makes for interesting baseball so much longer. I mean, think about it. Um, Saturday, there were five teams in the hunt for three spots. So that made it pretty meaningful down the stretch for a lot more teams. And in the old days, the Yankees had run away and you're out of it in July and who cares. And so it does create a lot more interest in their game, I think. The one thing though, that I think it undoes is that it cheapens, it it takes away some of what the teams that win the division get the benefit. They, okay, they get an extra home game. All right. So that, that to me, all right, you want to do this? You want to keep adding wildcard teams? That's fine. That's fine. If you want to do to let everybody in so they all get their playoff dates, but here's what I would propose. And I know people would hate this and I'm a traditionalist. I hate this idea, but I'm trying to come up with something (laughs) that would make it, make it worthwhile to win your division. Now, if you win the division from now on, Anytime you're playing a wild card team, you start the game up one nothing. Yeah. Now, not not when you play the other division winners. If if you run into them in the playoffs, you don't get that benefit. But if you are playing a wild card team, you start every game up one nothing. Give them something tangible that rewards them for actually winning that division. Well, they get home field advantage to start with. You know, home field advantage. So so you think having three wild card teams in is a bit hokey? but you want the team that the pennant winners to be up a run at the start of the game. I, I, I didn't say it made sense. I hate, I, I mean, I, I ideally, I, I would go back to the old days with just an American league East and American league West and well, the top team gets in. Now I know we're never going backwards. That's not the, that's not the thing. I want to see the absolute best teams in baseball in the playoffs. And you will in the world series and you will probably in, in the semifinals, probably. And I, and as I said, I don't, I wouldn't use this one run idea when you're not playing a wild card team. So if the, if the winner of the AL East is playing the AL Central in the American League Championship so, Series, no, no, you're, it's all even. So <coughs> under that scenario, if the Blue Jays made it to the World Series, yep, the na- and the National League Championship team that ended up in first place would start every game up one run. Yep. Okay. Let me t- let me taste your water. No, I just, I, I, it would make the, and maybe you say, okay, if you've made it to the world series, I don't know, we're playing, we're making this up on the fly. Maybe if you say, by the time you make it to the world series, you've earned the right then to, you know, but uh, certainly weren't the, (coughs) weren't the, uh, Florida Panthers in eighth place in the East this year? I think so. And went to the Stanley Cup finals. I would argue that home field advantage in Baseball is less impactful than home field in most other sports. Less impactful? Less impactful. I know yeah. you get last at bat. That's the biggest thing. Uh, but, but Unless you're in Boston, there's some quirky stadiums. Sure, but. okay. But, but I mean, last at bat is great unless you give up four runs in the top of the order, in the, to- in the top of the inning, and then all of a sudden going last isn't such a, you yeah. know, it's like in football. If you take the, the ball instead of choosing to, you know, take your end, 
and yeah. you give the other team the ball first, thinking, oh, we'll shut them down, and they march down the field and score a touchdown on the first possession. Well, that didn't look so good all of a sudden. No, you better you better know what you're doing. My point with uh, uh, the Florida Panthers is, though, there's a lot of balance in a lot of these sports now. Oh, yeah. And, and there is a possibility, if the Blue Jays get hot at the right time, they could win the American League championship. They could... I mean, they could very easily win. I, I I think they could win a World Series this year, and the reason is because they've got deep pitching. If their pitching yep. plays, if their pitching holds up and performs like it could, they could win the whole thing. And if 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 the, the tradition holds true that pitching wins you World Series and defense in football wins you championships, then the Blue Jays are particularly well suited. They're just going to have to get some of the some of their best batters to be their best batters. For a month. But if they play the Orioles, for example, who they finished 12 games behind, it just seems like an, one extra home game for Baltimore doesn't really seem like much of a reward for having gone all out and dominated the division all year and played so well. There should be something else. Yeah. And you know what? If, if giving them a one nothing advantage is too significant, if you say, well, that's just crazy and it probably is just crazy but then you get an ex- you get two extra challenges in the game yep or something well, you get something else that gives you a significant benefit of winning your division if if the blue jays win i think they play houston well they play Mil- um, they play minnesota first so yes, the, if and they minnesota win. minnesota won the al central ironically with a worse record than the jays had yeah, tells you something. So the Jays, you know, they're, they're the wild card team, but they should be the favorites in this. You would think they play in a much harder division. Yep. They're playing a team that played in a truly, truly crappy division that had th- the last place team in the Jays division, the AL East, would have finished second in the Central. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the, the Central was horrendous. The Royals won 56 games. The White Sox won 61. Uh the Twins were the only team over 500, and it wasn't even close after that. So, but I ask if they play Houston, because I think it is Houston they play. It could be. Would it balance it out better for you if if the Jays play Houston, all the games are in Houston, and that's the reward? Well, that would be an interesting one. So they do that in the first round of the, of the wild card. Yep. But the owners would never go for that because now the Jays would get in. Exactly. Have no home games, then again have no home games. Now that would be, that would be absolutely a benefit. Sure, sure, sure it would be. But the problem is all the owners vote all the time. Yeah, and they'd go crazy at that. Could you imagine? You make it to the playoffs and never have a home game. <laughs> never have <laughs> a home game. What's the point at that, mo- at that part? And, you know, and think about the... Truly, I mean, the, the part I would hate about that is think about the moments, even with the Jays, think about the moments that have happened in Toronto where you might not have even been the home team. I can't remember, did, did, um, no, the Jays were the home team against Texas when Bautista hit the home run, mm-hmm. uh, because that was game five. So they were the home team then, uh, were they the home team against Atlanta when, or against Philadelphia when Carter hit the home run? That was game six. So they were probably the visiting. So they, that would have been only in Philadelphia. That would have never happened in Toronto. Um, you know, there's, there's other things like it would, it would be, you would be denying people those moments if you said. Oh, you can't do it. You're, you couldn't. You're looking for crazy ideas to yeah. provide an advantage to the better top place teams. Now. 
That said, when you when when you structure it, Minnesota are the home team for the entire series. Yes, they had a worse record than the Toronto Blue Jays. Fix that. Well, this takes us to things like the CFL playoffs, where I've argued for years that we're we no longer need an East and a West in the CFL. I agree. The the Canadian Canada is, you know, with the internet and with the world being as small as it is, relatively speaking, it's no mystery anymore. It's not it's not like in the fifties when, you know, going to BC by wagon train was uh you know, was the, was the great mystery. And we'd never seen Calgary or a cowboy before. When you saw them with their hat on, it's like, what a mysterious creature. Um, Usually with the wagon trains, that's how I got home, brought home from the hospital when I was born. <laughs> but, but the reality is the CFL, I've always argued, and not everyone agrees, and that's fine, the CFL should be a one-division league. And the top two teams get a bye in the first round of the playoffs. Doesn't matter if they're both in the East or both in the West. And the next four play against each other. And away you go. Um, well, you do that though, but it, it, you're right about uh, the internet. You're right about air travel and so on. It's a little easier to get to places in a more timely fashion. But the problem is Toronto and uh, Hamilton play in an inordinate amount of games, I believe, against each other. And the cost of doing that would go up significantly because if you're going to have one divi- or one division, you should play a more balanced schedule. Well, here's what you do. You, you find a way, and this is when it should happen. You find a way to get that Atlantic team into the CFL. Yeah. And then you've got 10 teams. So you play each nine, nine games, nine other teams, home and away. There's your 18 games. Boom. One division. Everybody plays the same number of games against the against opponents. And then because it's all balanced, you can have one division and figure it out. But you're going to bring your costs up and your income down. Uh, yeah. BC, BC is not going to put as many people in Tim Horton Field as the, as the Argos will for an extra game or two. Um, so income down, expenses yeah, up. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand your point. I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking about competitive balance and, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and yes, the, the, it, the business case, the business case in any of the things we're talking about makes no sense, really. Giving, no. giving someone a, a run to start the game doesn't, you know, that, that, that would hurt the team. Well, we're here to entertain people and they're no. like, and they're likely laughing. So no. we're entertaining them. But the team, like, again, to use the example, the team that would start a run down, that could be in, in baseball with the pitching that's in the playoffs, that could be the deciding run right there. It, it would be a... Yeah. Heavy, heavy advantage. It really would. And most playoff, not in the not when the Jays played the Phillies back in '93 and they won a game 15-14. Well, although there's your run right there. If you're, uh, yeah. Although the Phillies would have had it potentially because they were. They'd the still be playing. Yeah, they could. St- <laughs> they could still be going. It could be 400 to 399 at this point, but they'd still be going. Lenny Dykstra, now a 67 year old. No, I, 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 I'm not a fan. I'm I'm glad the Jays are in. I hope they do well. I think, as I say, I think they can win this. Well, I, I'm I'm very confident they're going to win this series. I really am. I'd be shocked if they didn't win this series. And then after that, who knows? But they've got the, the they've got the team that should be competitive in a playoff situation. Well, if they don't win it, they're going to have a new manager next year because they'll blame the manager. They will. He. Um, he was interviewed after the Friday night game when they won, and he was saying, you know, I was really happy with defensive play. We played hard. Uh, we got timely hits. We got timely home runs. 
and how we should have ended that was, and I I had nothing to do with any of that. Because when they don't play well defensively and they don't hit, it's yes. his fault. So that was his opportunity to say, I had nothing to do with the timely hitting and the home runs. Because the guys did their jobs. Yeah. And when they don't do their jobs. Was he trying to take credit? No. But it would have been a good opportunity to. Just to reiterate the point. Say, I had nothing to do with this, but I'm really happy we executed well. Yeah. No, he. I, I think that uh, there's a chance that if they go out and. Without a win, which uh, has happened a few times, or if lose yeah. the series, that he may be gone. Um, I was I was thinking that if they didn't make the playoffs this year, which was for a while there yeah. looking quite possible, that we might have seen a new general manager. Although it appears that Ross Atkins could, you know, trade for a flock of pheasants and put them in the outfield, and Mark Shapiro would say, "Well, it's a, you know, statistically and yeah. with." Uh, Mathematically, it, would, it made a lot of sense. Like there's just there's nothing well, that can. Well, that's his guy. I know. That's what I mean. It's like nothing could possibly undo that partnership. Um, you know, they, but they haven't done, they haven't won anything yet in no. their whole time there. They haven't won anything yet. And uh, anyway, I, I and Alex Antropolis is still has only one is kind of muddling along with yeah. the best team in baseball again. in Atlanta. That was a great decision. Yeah, again, Canadian, I don't know. good Canadian kid. So before we go to the break here, though. Have the Blue Jays, I mean, ever look, everyone around here is hoping they're going to win because why wouldn't you? Have they, have you been passionate about the Blue Jays this year? No. I did watch this weekend. I am, I like watching when they're doing well and when they're not doing well, I don't even know they're playing. I, I've just found them very difficult to latch on to this year. They've been, they've just been an uninspiring team and I don't know, I don't know if it's personality. I don't know if it's just the fact that no offense is not that much fun to watch. I, I mean, I'm, I'm as I'm much for a great pitcher's duel as the next guy, but not every day. You know, I, 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 I don't need to see a one nothing game every day or two, one every day, like Every once in a while, that's why those 2015 and 16 teams were so fun because they scored 10 runs every day. Yeah, and they gave a bunch up, but there was lots of runs. But they hit a million home runs and they hit And the if you were down three in the eight. Who cares? Didn't matter because they weren't out of it. And, you know, they, they were, yeah, they were a team that if you threw them a fastball, they were going to hit it <laughs> hard somewhere and probably somewhere safely. And now I just, I've, I've found this team to be difficult to really f- get a lot ahead of steam about. We'll see if the playoffs can do that. We'll see if when they start tomorrow, if well, now that it really counts, especially if they get off to a good start. Because here's the other thing. It, Gosman is pitching tomorrow. If they lose tomorrow, I don't even know what the ratings are going to be after that. Because I think a lot of people just go, oh, here we go again. Wow, your bandwagon. Your bandwagon's small. First, you, first you got them winning the series, but if they lose tomorrow, no, no, they're done. I, 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 no, I'm saying a lot of people, because I think a lot of people feel the same, that this team has not been all that inspiring or that. Yeah, that's. And, and I'm, I, so I'll, I'll be watching it, but I'm saying a lot of people, I think, will look at it, and if they don't win tomorrow, uh, I'll, I'll be watching. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, it's the playoffs now. I mean, you watch yeah. the playoffs. But I think a lot of people who are not convinced about this team and don't have a real deep personal affinity for this team. If they drop that first one, they're like, okay, tell me if they're back winning again and I'll tune in then. I don't need the hassle until then. You're not going to watch much of it if you're doing this thing at six. 
well, it'll, I may have it on here. Yeah, it's good. good it's, it's go an, and it's an afternoon game tomorrow, so they're uh, they're at four uh, 4.38 tomorrow, first pitch. Gosman against Lopez, each with a 0-0 zero zero record and a 0.00 ERA, magnificent. In the playoffs so far. Well, they only lost the play. It, but both of them just had the most tremendous season with a 0 ERA. It but, seems. They, but they slapped uh, they slapped our guy around pretty hard the last game. They only... I think they only faced them once. Mm. It's uh, we will see. We we will see. But uh, as I say, that's uh, that is tomorrow. So we'll uh, we'll talk maybe about that tomorrow. We'll see how things are going. Right now, let's take a break. Don Robertson, myself, coming back. Give you the quiz question again. Phones seem to be now be working. So we'll give you the quiz question again. And if you didn't get through the first time, we'll give you an opportunity to sort that out. All that's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. In what game might you peg out? 905-645-3221, star 9900, or text us at 905-645-3221. In what game might you peg out? Let us know. Married with children. That's right. You know, I thought of that same thing. Peg Bundy. Um, no, <laughs> not correct. Uh, did you watch the Ryder Cup on the weekend? None. None. You know, I, I, I didn't watch any either. And I, and I watch golf. I didn't watch any either. And I don't know. Uh, uh, do you think the Ryder Cup is overblown? That is over, not overblown, is overhyped? Because it is talked about yeah. a ton, a ton and maybe if it's more competitive, I don't know, but. Well, the Americans got blown out, right? Yes. And um, I, and the time difference, I don't even know what time it was on, but it was in Europe. So it sure wasn't on at three o'clock in the afternoon here. <clears throat> I, I just, I, I don't know what it was this year that I just did not find the necessity to turn it on. And I, and that doesn't mean that lots of other people didn't, but it. I don't know. I, I usually would. Did the did the live golfers play in it? I didn't even follow it. Uh, no, they no, didn't there play may have been, there may have been one, but I don't think so. Not as a rule, most of them did not. What about the European side? Like we, you would know about the American side, and I didn't follow it, so I'm kind of yeah. You know what? I don't think question. this was. A, I don't think this was a live issue. I think it was. Uh, again, maybe it was the timing. Maybe it was it, the the point is though. It just you hear so much build up to the Ryder Cup. Always, yes. it is such a big deal. And I was just sort of surprised. And again, maybe it was just because it was a blowout. Maybe the, and you know, all the highlights that I saw, ironically, weren't, except for one, Hovland getting a hole in one on a par four. I saw a highlight of that, which was pretty cool. Um, but there, all the other highlights were the things that you get in a Ryder Cup where the fans are taunting the other team. Yeah. So all the European fans were taunting the Americans and, um, which is fun, although they're probably going to regret that two years hence when, cause I believe in two years, the next time the Ryder cup, it's in the Philadelphia area and Philadelphia sports fans are not known for being delicate. What's in Montreal? Something's in Montreal. President's cup. Okay. That's, uh, uh, that's so Mac Hughes might, I think. I think he's still eligible. I'm not sure if they've chosen the team for that yet. 
Um, but no, I, I, those, uh, those European fans that were giving it to the Americans and it's all good. It's all part of the game. It's all part of the fun, but I have a feeling the Europeans might be treated not particularly kindly in two years when it's in Philadelphia, where you'll recall they threw snowballs at Santa Claus. <laughs> Philadelphia is a tough time. town. Um, yeah, they're, they're, the fans there are not, I, I, I was at the, uh, when the first time Mackenzie Hughes played in the U.S. Open was at Marion Golf Club, which is just outside Philadelphia. I don't know if that's where the Ryder Cup is supposed to be. And even then, the fans, and they were the genteel Philadelphia fans because this was a proper U.S. Open. And even then, there was some heckling going on. Really? You now bring it into a team sport where you can give it to the other team. It, 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 will, be, it will be interesting. It will be, but all the highlights I saw, the point was all the highlights were not of golf, except for the Hovland hole in one. I didn't see a single highlight from golf. All of it was caddies fighting with Rory McIlroy and fans going after the Americans and taunting them and something about hats. Cause one of the guys didn't want to wear a hat we're told. And that was because he was fighting with his teammates, which then they say, no, he wasn't. I mean, it was, it was weird. It just didn't seem to have the. Well, his excuse was that the hats don't, the hat didn't fit. Hat them didn't well. fit. They couldn't find him a hat that would fit with the weeks and weeks and weeks. I, you know, again, I know that that time that Mackenzie Hughes played at the U.S. Open and he was a, he may have still been an amateur at that point. I can't remember. I think he, he was. was. And the score, John Levy and the score decided, with I think some help from the person sitting next to me, decided to sponsor him down there and they got monogrammed, sponsored golf shirts down to him in about 42 seconds to wear with the score logo on it. I'm sure they could have found a hat that would fit the guy at the Ryder Cup. That sponsorship deal was done Monday night at 7 o'clock. And he teed off on and John, Thursday. I, I phoned John and he said, I'll do it, but he's got to wear it Wednesday. Uh-huh. So that's not a problem. <clears throat> I went up to Golf Town and found out what size he was, and it had to be, and I forget the brand, because he was an amateur, it had to be Under Armour. And I bought every color they had. I think there was six <laughs> colors and took them down to Breakaway on Barton Street. And and the score sent the thing there. And by Tuesday afternoon, they were done and overnighted, and he wore it Wednesday. There you go. See, I'm sure they could have found a hat. So they could have found a hat if we can get, Somewhere, golf shirts that fast. Somewhere in all of Europe, I'm sure there was a hat that could have been sized and, uh, and printed. They had their issues. There's no doubt about it. Uh, yeah. Let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, get the quiz question again. Also, we're going to be chatting about referees. There was more refereeing controversy in the football game last night, as there always seems to be with the Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to talk about the excuse of refereeing. Is it a fair excuse? We'll do that next. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. So last night in the Sunday night football game, um, New York Jets and Kansas City Chiefs, and as seems to happen an awful lot, Kansas City gets two very favorable calls right at the end of the game. One, a very questionable pass interference or holding call that negates a pass, uh, an interception that could have turned the game around. And then in the next play or a couple plays later on a third and 22, Patrick Mahomes runs for a first down while the Kansas City offensive lineman is 
doing the most egregious hold you could ever see. I know you say that there's a hold on every play, which is true, but there's not. There's a hold, and there's a hold. There's a difference between hog tying a guy and there grabbing are, his jersey for a minute. There are degrees <laughs> of holds, and this was like really official. You didn't see this one anyway. The the argument the the line that is used by everybody all the time when they point to officiating is, you know, yeah, that was a terrible call, but. It was just one play, and we still had a chance to win the game. Is there, though, ever a situation where you look and you go, no, you know what, that call was so huge that you, that line is no longer relevant. The ref, that call, what the ref or that call did, in fact, change the outcome of the game. Can you ever point to that and say that really did change the, the result? Yeah, oftentimes, and, it, and they don't have to be that egregious either. They could be a, a small hole that just is enough that half the time gets called and half the time doesn't get called. And I'll tell you, good coaches, well, I do it. So it doesn't mean good coaches, but I do it. I tell guys, I judge on what you what you don't call because everything you call is a penalty. So now I just judge, and most people, good coaches, will do that saying, okay, everything you call is a penalty. Very seldom are they not penalties. But it's what they choose to not call that can determine the game. Like, but the, can they? The but late they, flag, the holding, and 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 uh, and the quarterback gets the first down, and that's probably and that probably changes the game because they just carry on. With but does the ball. it determine the game, or can you or can you always say, oh, but we had many other chances. That was just one down. We had forty other offensive plays or of whatever. Course. But it, so, is it ever a reasonable thing? to say the ref altered the outcome of the game. Well, yes, and and in and when that happens, if it takes some momentum away or it creates momentum, like so if it's if it's if you want to call this uh, a botched call and the receiver pushes a defender away and makes the catch and then they go in and score a touchdown, well, that has a big bearing because it set up the touchdown. Every play won't set up a touchdown, but on a given play, that can be probably the difference. You know, they go up by 14, otherwise maybe they're only up by 7, but based on the fact that there was no call and it was really offensive interference on a defender, he makes the catch and either scores a touchdown or stops at the 2, right? See, I, I I would point to... The example of, and I know people are so sick of this one, and so I apologize for even bringing it up, but back in 93 when Kerry, uh, Kerry uh, Fraser didn't call high-sticking on Gretzky on Doug Gilmore, it wasn't that the Kings didn't have to kill a penalty that ended up changing that game. It was that Gretzky went on from there and scored the winner and dominated after that, and if he's not on the ice, there's a very good chance the Kings don't win that game. That one I look at and I go, okay, there is, because it wasn't just a moment then. It wasn't just one moment that happened. It was a whole bunch of stuff after well, that was, happened. Well, it was the result of it the non-call. But it was a whole bunch of stuff after that that you could say, but if you take this out and this out and this out and this out and this out, how is it different? As opposed to a football game where it's one play and you say, well, certainly changes things, but there was an opportunity to fix things. Well, it's it's glad to see you're not bitter thirty years later, but it's not about being bitter. It's about being it's it's 
it was in an, football, there is a play with a result, and then presumably, I mean, I know you're right. You could be, instead of marching, you could be down at your own 20-yard line all of a sudden, okay, and things so have spun. Let me bring back to my point. You're judged on what you don't call. Mm-hmm. He didn't make that call, and it was the wrong call. And it probably determined whether or not the Toronto Maple Leafs not just only got past Los Angeles, beat Montreal to win a Stanley Cup. Mm. Yeah, no, it's it's very possible. It's, so there's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of factors. Are, but you yeah. know what? I'll tell you, there when uh, New England won, what they win, seventeen straight Super Bowls, something like that. Yeah, and everybody would always squawk about New England get all the breaks from the officials. I mean, you know, Buffalo's playing them. Buffalo holds it's a penalty. New England do the same thing on the next play. There's no penalty called. The teams that are on rolls and the good teams always seemingly, it seems like they always get the benefit of the doubt, whether or not it's true. So let me ask you then, let me follow that up, because the NFL, uh, after the game last night, sent out what I think is a terribly advised tweet. Now, they're not listening to me. The NFL is making a few more bucks than I am. But they have a picture of Taylor Swift, who everyone knows now is presumably, or we believe, dating the tight end, Travis Kelsey, for Kansas City. The Chiefs are now 2-0 and with Taylor Swift in attendance, it, which almost sounds like if you're the NFL, you're cheering for the Chiefs because you're wanting Taylor Swift to be 2-0 and or 3-0. and I, I don't know that that's what they're saying, but my goodness, it just, it seems like if you're the league and you've just had a controversial call or two. They don't care. Do you not? Walk away from this and say, let's not make those who are watching and are doubtful about the veracity of everything. Let's not give them more fuel for their fire. Did they tag her in the tweet? Oh, there's a photo. There's a video of her. No, but I mean, she only has oh, 17. Yes. Oh, tagged. Oh, yeah. trillion followers. And she is tagged. Yeah. She, oh, she's got uh, 94.5 million. Yeah. No, she's no, got a few. No, as discussed with her dating record, Kansas are in trouble by the end of the year. Kansas City, yeah, because, well, Travis Kelsey is not only going to be dumped <laughs> a week before the playoffs, but a new album about their relationship <laughs> will come out right before then, and then she'll sing the Super Bowl halftime show <laughs> featuring all her new Travis Kelsey-inspired dirges about sad love and, yeah, this, uh, not, nothing could possibly go wrong. <laughs> if he's got a dog, it's going to die. Uh, nothing well, it's not country and western. It's okay. Well, I mean, she started as a country singer. I don't know that it's considered country anymore, but yes, it's, uh, I don't know. I, um, it does, uh, it does seem that, uh, it, it does seem the NFL does not mind people questioning whether there's the script. They even have a funny commercial they put out earlier this year about the script, because people always say the NFL has a script. They want certain things to happen in a certain way. They even play that up with a in-house commercial. It, it seems they don't mind people believing that, because they're still going to watch and they're still going to gamble on it. Yeah, I know. And I I mean, there's no evidence that, that she's even dating anybody on the team, so their luck will be fine. Uh, uh, she's certainly, it seems, friends with him to the point where she's hanging out in the box with his mother. Uh, well, she's not in any of the Bills, Bills games, so it's not like she's just taken the sport up and fell in love with well, it. Well, you know, the funny thing was, we got to take a break here. The funny thing was someone posted a tweet yesterday or yesterday. It was an old tweet, but it caught me, got me. And it was OJ Simpson at a Bills game. And I'm like, okay, just a second now. 
if it's Taylor Swift at my game <laughs> dating one of my players or O.J. Simpson showing up, I'll, I'll take my chances with Taylor Swift. <laughs> if, it's, if it's a question of which quote, quote, celebrity you want in your stands, I'll, I'll take Taylor Swift regardless of what, uh, what songs may come out of this one because uh, <laughs> the whole OJ, if O.J. Simpson is wearing Bruno Mogley shoes and one glove, run for your life. That's that's not a good situation. All right, here's your quiz question tonight. Uh, let me find it. In what game might you peg out? In what game might you peg out? 905-645-3221, star 9900, or text us at 905-645-3221. Back with the answer after this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson knew the answer to this one. Want me to say it? Yeah. Crib. Cribbage. Yeah, absolutely. You might peg out in cribbage. We had a few interesting answers. We had cricket, which is, you know what? That's actually not, It's it sounds right, but it's, no, it's not. It's cribbage. Matt, anyone know the answer to this one tonight? Yes, we've got Zan, Joe and Patricia, Tom, Hugh, Maria, Gino, Joe and Kathy, two Franks, two Bobs, Paul, Joanne, Karen, Mondu, and Adam. Way to go. That's, uh, that's a lot of people who knew their cribbage. I used to play cribbage with my dad at the cottage all the time. It was uh, Susan and I played once in a while. Yeah, and it was great bragging rights. It was great bragging rights to be able I mean, to come second. There was nothing that made my dad, that gave him more glee than for about five minutes to be able to go and tell my mom, I skunked him. Skunked him. <laughs> yeah, that did, didn't yeah. happen that often. But He's enough. only four, but he'll learn. Uh, yeah, well, that was, uh, that, no, that was not. And, and then when my son was able to play with his grandpa, uh, same thing. There was, yeah. glee, there was glee in the skunk, let me just say. Uh, Don Robertson, thanks for coming in today. I always appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks, Scott. Let us uh, wish you a good evening. We'll be back tomorrow. That was very formal. I uh, don't usually do that. I, wish you, I bid you a good adieu. Uh, we will talk to you tomorrow at 6. Have a great night. And boom goes the dynamite. Want to hear more? Download the podcast on iTunes or Google Play and listen to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.